Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Welcome, everyone, one final time to a new episode of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, along with Steffi Haynes. And yes, this is our last show, but we're still going to have plenty of in-depth MMA talk, and that includes worshipping the great Demetrius Johnson after his epic win last weekend at one championship, winning the heaviest belt in MMA. Um, and we've also got some other stuff to talk about, too, like Rampage wants to keep on fighting, and there's a special Q&A segment starring uh, me for a change. But before we get into that, Steffi, by the time this show goes on the air, it'll be your birthday. So one, happy birthday. And two, you got any big plans or, or a restaurant that you frequent on, on your on your birthday? No, um, I had planned on celebrating today because Artemis was going to launch. And I'm, I've been just stupidly excited about it because, holy crap, a moon launch in my lifetime. And that yeah, got and moved to Friday, so now I'll probably uh, move my celebration to that day. I don't know. See, it's difficult because Eric has to work on Friday, so it's not the same as if it had been today or any of the days this week other than Friday. I also have physical therapy on Friday, so it's just not a good day to celebrate. So I'm kind of bummed. Um, my be- My birthday feels much less special this year anyways because you're leaving um but it's for a good reason that you're leaving you're going for real greener pastures and i'm stupidly happy for you so that's a good thing i'm just really bummed that the launch didn't happen and that yeah you have to go yeah well i was obviously supposed to go into the uh into the into the rocket and be shipped there but no um (laughs) Yes, it's look, I'm not going to do any big speech today, especially since you and I still have a level change to do. But there'll be a proper farewell that I'll post in the um, Bloody Elbow fan post section uh, at the end of the at the end of the week. But yes, so restaurants, it's it's you got a free tour of restaurants, though, don't you? I do. I do. I'm looking at Red Robin. There's a Thai place that I I registered with a few years back that always sends me something. Um, There's there's some other stuff locally around here and all of that. But uh, I think I'm just going to end up doing two places. I think I'm going to do the Thai place and Red Robin because Red Robin is my thing. I I love their hamburgers. So (laughs) I'll probably do those. And then I will hit every boba shop between there and here on the way oh yeah (laughs) i'm gonna bring home probably 10 bobas for for about 10 hours because i can pop one an hour i love them how can you not (laughs) i'll tell you what like so much of the bloody elbow staff past and present their birthdays are clustered in this like one or two week span Mm -hmm. or or maybe a month because tim burke was i think july 30th Mm -hmm. and then to August 30th is your birthday. Today is Kareem's birthday. Um, a couple of days ago, I think, was Connor Rebush's birthday. And he has the same, and he shares a birthday with Ben Cohn. Yeah. And Ed, um, Ed Gallo's got a, got a birthday in between them as well. Well, his was yesterday, and Eugene's was the day before on Saturday. So there's lots of us in uh, July and August. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. That is just a giant coincidence. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, let's get to uh, one championship and Demetrius Johnson, whose birthday, by the way, August 13th. Uh, yes, he, he fought at one championship in Singapore, the first card on Amazon Prime Video, and his rematch with Adriana Moraes was a thing of beauty. Ignoring all the, the, the weigh-in nonsense and one's very ridiculous rules and the over-the-top presentation, the fight itself was over-the-top crazy. It was an awesome fight. And for somebody who hadn't gotten a knockout since 2016, Dem- Demetrius Johnson unleashed a video game-like combination of strikes to put Marais away. Now, he didn't have it his way the whole time. The first round, um, he did get taken down, and, and there was some control time for Marais. The second round, he got rocked by a head kick. It was a temple shot, and that could have been Marais' chance to finish him. And unlike the first time where he got him on the ground and landed some knees that, that sealed the deal, he couldn't put him away on this occasion. And then the third round, you notice the change. And Marais was striking more with Johnson. And Mighty Mouse was was getting to, to the – beating him to the punch more consistently. That speed advantage, advantage was prevalent. And then in the fourth round, a well-timed counter right hand. And then having been knocked out by a knee, a pu- knocked down by a punch, and then knocked out by a knee in the first fight – he rocks Marais with a beautiful right hand and then knocks him out cold with a flying knee and then just casually walks away like a boss. What a performance. This this man, we cannot lose sight of the fact that he is one of the greatest of all time. And in the eyes of many, he is the greatest. Not to mention, you, you said aside from all the way and nonsense, but we must mention the fact that Marais was easily 30 pounds heavier than him probably when they went in i mean it looked like demetrius was fighting a welterweight and that to me is kind of indicative of his whole career because remember he didn't start at fly he started at bantam and he was always the littlest guy taking on the bigger guys and winning i mean his record is insane isn't it 31 and 4 now I mean, that's an incredible record and just about all of it at a very high level. I mean, this guy really, if if he's not in the GOAT uh, conversation, then there's something wrong. Yep, 31-4-1. And, and I know last week I said this is the first time that Mighty Mouse has had, to, had the opportunity to avenge a loss. Well, I'll say the closest he's come to that would be the draw he had against Ian McCall. Right. Because that third round was going badly for him. And if the judges had done their job, I think there was a scoring error, right? So, yeah, there was something weird with the the judging, and we would have had a sudden victory fourth round. And I don't think that Demetrius would have been able to win that the way that fight was going. But in the rematch, he made it a no-doubter. That's true. So in this rematch, I could sense some adjustments that he made. In the first fight, he had a lot of trouble finding range. He, he could not hit Marais cleanly all too often, but he was in closer quarters. He was in it, it, the exchanges were tighter and he was letting his hands go when he was in range to throw instead of trying to feel his way in. And the, the longer the fight stayed on the feet, the more I sense this could go wrong from rise. And um, at the time of the stoppage, because remember one judges fights as a whole, like pride did. And instead of the 10 point must system, I thought that the fight was trending towards Demetrius anyway. Yeah, for sure. Also, let's back up for for just a second. I got to mention the the com the commentary constantly pushing uh Chatri's generosity. 
uh, $50,000 coming straight from Shatri. And if you didn't know better, you would think that Shatri was reaching directly into his personal wallet and issuing this money out. And I, I can't let it go without saying a little something about it. Oh, yeah. Their, their broadcast is just, uh, let, let's say, hyperbole and then some. I mean, as I said, the heaviest belt in it. Like, who the, who the hell cares about that? And, and then the, the $50,000, like, oh, my God, Demetrius Johnson is probably just so stoked about that $50,000. Um, you have like to go all the way back said, to when he was in the UFC for that to happen. Yeah, I like how he said, I'll pay off the taxes and then maybe I'll be able to buy my wife a Coke with it. <laughs> My goodness. So so I'll tell you what, Marais is a really good fighter. There's no denying that. I mean, he's not a, a spring chicken. He's 34. He's just been in one for a, a pretty long time. But um, yes, I, I don't know how he's making flyweight, one's flyweight, which is bantamweights for, you know, universally. That dude looks like he could fight at welterweight or middleweight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was a comical size mismatch. And it makes you question the whole hydrating thing that they mm-hmm. do. Because I don't see how in the world he didn't just gain a shitload of weight from from the weigh-ins and then the subsequent uh, attempts up until fight night. But, you know, one of the things that's been discussed over the years is the trade and who won the trade. Was this a good trade Mm. to have Demetrius Johnson go to one championship in exchange for Ben Askren? So with Ben Askren, we got the Robbie Lawler fight, which was a bit chaotic, should have been knocked out in 40 seconds. And instead he got a win, a submission win. He got KTFO by Masvidal and then lost uh, by submission to Damian Maia. And not only did he lose to him, he got outstruck by Damian Maia too. <laughs> and then we got to see the Jake Paul farce shortly thereafter. Meanwhile, Mighty Mouse, I mean, he, he's won all of his other fights in one that are just MMA fights. I, I think he had a, uh, a mixed rules fight that he lost. Oh, no, wait, he won that uh, against Rotang? Yeah. Yeah, so basically his only loss in one championship uh, is the Marais fight, mm. and he is—he's—he's he's still looking good. I even with the win, I don't think he's in at his absolute best. I don't think we're seeing peak Mighty Mouse, but we've found—we've found out that even 95 percent Mighty Mouse is still a damn good fighter. And I go back and forth on this trade, and as cool as this was, and as much as I bet Demetrius enjoys fighting at one championship, the different rule sets and everything, wouldn't you want to see Demetrius still in the UFC fighting this set of flyweights? Indeed, because I think that he could probably take the belt. I think it would exchange hands frequently amongst Brandon Moreno, Davison Figueredo. If Henry were to come back, you could probably throw him in the mix. I'm still on the fence because he let himself get chunky, chunky, chunky. But I I wouldn't mind seeing Henry in the mix if he could make the the weight. You have um, Kai Kara France, too. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many good, talented people in that top five of flyweight. I mean, just a few years ago, we were tolling the death knell for them. And now that's one of the most exciting divisions. I love watching the flyweights. I look forward to a flyweight fight before before a lightweight fight now. Yeah, I mean, think about the match Chanel uh, Sumaderji fight mm-hmm. from a month and a half ago. I mean... They're not really in title contention at the moment. I mean, Schnell might be a little bit uh, closer, given he's in the top 10. But that was a comeback of the year contender, one of the best fights of the year. And then you look at the top. Figueredo uh, has not been a dominant champion. I mean, he lost the belt and he got it back. Moreno, by default, hasn't been a dominant champion because he won the title from Figueredo and lost it immediately in the rematch. 
Um, Pantoge hasn't won the title. Car France challenged for the interim belt. So I think all of these these guys from Figueredo down to maybe like Alex Perez and, and Mateus Nicolau, I would like to see DJ against those guys. Like in an in an ideal world, we would still see Demetrius Johnson have one more push at 125. And I say 125 because at 135, as much as I love DJ, I think that division is too much for him to handle. Yes, especially yep. someone like an Aljamain Sterling. Yep, and, and not just Sterling, but you, you think about the um, Dillashaw and Jan. Dillashaw 135. I would I say. I think Dillashaw would be handleable. A Piotr Jan, not so sure. Aljamain Sterling, not so sure. Definitely not sure on that one. But you never know. I mean, he just beat a guy that was basically a welterweight. A very good one, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it was an excellent win on a pretty entertaining card. Uh, was it me or did one um, doctor the crowd noise? Because there it were seemed... some moments where the fans were reacting to something that did not seem like it, reprompt, it it warranted loud cheers. Yeah, it seemed like the crowd noise was way off from what we were watching. Also, let's talk for one brief second about Shatri just constantly going in with little digs at the UFC. All while he didn't even have a hashtag trend going until the last fight. Yeah, I've got some um look, we we our last show is going to be the first time that we've ever had one championship lead off the segment. But I, I like a lot of one championships fights. I like a lot of the fighters there. As far as the surrounding stuff of the promotion, quite shady. And we've got, you know, articles from Nash and others about it, but uh yeah, taking the digs at the UFC and then pumping themselves up and I I feel like that they just skyrocketed to the number one trending topic in the u.s on twitter at the at the last moment there might have been some artificial boosting to that might have been oh yeah because i'll tell you what when i first came in i looked high and low did my little due diligence my legwork did the, the the google trends the twitter trends they weren't in there they did not show up until the last fight now in in my little wheelhouse of twitter where i have it set where that they the sports lies pretty much on top so that i get the mma stuff first even there it wasn't the top trend i actually posted a picture that ufc paris was trending but not one on amazon prime one yeah and also what a dorky hashtag one on amazon prime one I mean, already like UFC San Diego, UFC Vegas, blank, blank, whatever. But that's just too, too wordy. One on Amazon Prime One. Yeah. You're, you're starting with one and then you end with one. It, it's, uh, it, it just doesn't fit. But still, you know, this wasn't the only good moment on the card before we move on. Uh, Marcus Almeida, Marcus Buchecha, yeah. that was a sick heel hook it was. on, on Grishenko. And I know that he, he's close friends or was close friends sadly with uh leandro lowe who was yeah. senselessly murdered not too long ago and that was an emotional moment for him and he got some extra money too but uh, i certainly love watching that dude grapple for real and there was a an, another big knockout on the card too i can't remember the guy's name but that was a sick knockout yeah i think it was uh Pantayak against uh, Savas. Yes. Uh, I call, yeah, it was a Muay Thai fight. Yes. That, that guy was knocked out by the right cross. And then he got extra knocked out by the head kick. Like, he would have fallen forward mm-hmm. from the right hand 
and instead he got knocked back and flat on his back with a head kick. That's one of the sickest knockouts I've seen. And it ended up being that, you know, there was a sicker knockout later in the card. First of all, the sound when when the, the kick landed was pretty audible. And the other thing, the way that it hit, I don't know why, but I just immediately thought of a frying pan to the face in a cartoon, like a Tom and Jerry. Coyote or Tom and Jerry or something like that. I mean, it was like an Acme pan hit him straight in the face. That was a scary knockout. Yeah, it was. I will say one mics the hell out of their I don't know how their audio setup for for all the stuff yeah. in the cage is so pronounced mm-hmm. that it just makes those those strikes impact. Like it's louder than when the UFC's in the apex. Right. Those those strikes the the, the impact of those shots just sounds like like an an Aaron Judge home run. Yes. I mean just the the thwacking noise makes it seem even more terrifying in this already violent sports but even in a week that's there's no UFC no Bellator uh no PFL no other major MMA one championship got to to be king for a weekend and that card delivered and Amazon Prime streaming quality is really damn good it is, but their their fast forwards and their rewinds are terrible. They they don't, Oh yes. Their controls are just all messed up. Yes, that that badly needs to be fixed because that that applies to to even just watching them regularly. Right, for sure. So we're going to move on here to our first news topic, and it is about Jose Aldo. Now, if we go back in our memory palaces, we will remember at UFC 278 that Merab Devalishvili did defeat him. His manager, Andre Dede Pedineras, he went on an interview with SureDog and refuted it, basically, that Jose Aldo had retired because if you remember, Merab Devalishvili said that Jose Aldo told him while they were hugged up on the floor after the fight that he was done fighting. So Dede did this interview and he said, and I quote, no way. It's not uncommon that high level fighters say they are done after a loss. Once I had many high level fighters last 30 years. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that after a loss. The fact is that unlike many other top champions that finish their careers only losing, being out of the rankings, etc., we can see that Aldo continues performing at the highest level of the sport. Now, he was not just mad about the result. He was also kind of mad at Jason Herzog, the referee, who he says uh, did not give Aldo a fair chance in the fight as he believed the fighters should have been separated for stalling. And I'm going to quote again. That defeat, in my opinion, was pretty much questionable. I'm not saying he was robbed. But a second round like that, where the referee accepted one fighter staying absolutely stalling the opponent on the cage. If all refs allow that kind of behavior, imagine what would happen to our sport. Nobody wants to see that shit. I have all respect for Jason Herzog, but he had the same attitude both in Aldo and Ketlin Vieira's fights. Herzog was not the only recipient of his ire. He also had some some words for Michael Bell, who scored the bout 30-27 for Devalishvili. And I quote, The sick guy who gave the first round to Merov has no idea about MMA. He is probably a wrestler. If they believe that holding a fighter on the cage is a sport, 
They should stop hiring strikers and just hire wrestlers. I have nothing bad to say about Merab. He did a strategy using the weapons he had and the rules. The fact is that the bantamweight division is one of the toughest in the UFC nowadays. If you get all top 10 facing each other, everybody could have losses and wins depending on the style matchups and the day of the fights. The fact is that there are a lot of top guys and Aldo is still inside that group. I agree with him on most of what he said. I do. I think that he's got a little bit of a sour grapes thing going on, though, as far as targeting Jason Herzog for not not stopping the stalling or whatever. Um, could there have been some more action and could it have been dictated by the ref? Sure. But I, I just don't feel like... Aldo losing was a direct result of of Jason Herzog not getting him off the cage one or two times. I think that uh, the elevation and Aldo's age and the fact that Merob is pretty much the energizer bunny in there just constantly working. It all took a toll and it was too much for him. These fights like this are going to happen for Aldo. They're not all going to be showcased. And I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, but sometimes he goes in there and looks so damn good. It looks like it was just custom cut for him, like wrapped up with a pretty bow tie. I can see his points and more so because he's the manager and he's supposed to say these things. So I don't really have a problem with what Dede is saying because he's he's the hype man. He, he's he got a guy to promote and that's what he's doing. But some of the things, take it with a grain of salt. We're hearing Devalish Philly say Aldo told him he retired and we're hearing Pedernera saying Jose's not retiring. I want to hear from Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a strong conclusion to make because, of course, as his manager, he is inclined, unless Aldo is is way beyond uh, past it, and he isn't, he is absolutely wanting Jose to keep fighting. I mean, there, there's skin in the game for him for, sure. for, for obvious reasons. But uh, as far as the fight, there were natural separations in that fight, and that still led to Mirab just blasting forward, looking for a takedown, and Aldo pretty much content to play defense mm-hmm. I, I mean th- that was Aldo's problem I, I agree with him on, with Michael Bell there shouldn't have been a 30-27 he clearly right. took the first round but um, as far as losing the fight of course that's that's undeniable there's no way you could give Aldo that fight mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I have thoughts about the the, the stalling that, that fighters tend to do uh, especially wrestlers when they try and go for takedowns I can think of Nick Lentz and Andre Winter as a premier example of just wall and stall and as much as Lentz just bored the hell out of everybody, there was some onus on Winner to do something else. Yep. So I think that's the same problem for Aldo. Now, he, he also mentioned that he had talked about, uh, say, fighting Cruz or Dillashaw. He said they're not available for the for, from the UFC's agenda. Uh, so he, he, he also said that he wants Aldo to fight at UFC Rio. So that would be the January card, which is doable. I have a feeling that Cruz won't be available to fight anytime soon because that was a pretty wicked knockout. Um, Dillashaw, you know, if he loses to Aljo, I'd be down for Aldo and Dillashaw. When he loses to Aljo. Yeah, yeah, when he loses to Aljo. Uh, Go from Aljo to Aldo. And when he loses from both. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I, we discussed it last week. Don't want to see Aldo lose like that. We don't want that to be his last fight. 
We really don't. He's got that, he's got much more left in the tank. And stop putting him at places that make him huff and puff. We don't need to see him at elevation. Just sit him down someplace nice where he can breathe. <laughs> I'll be just fine. Yeah, Luke Rockhold had mentioned that the the high elevation was was a factor. I think him getting blasted in the nose might have also impacted him. But uh, still, we saw plenty of fighters on the card who were struggling badly with the high elevation, as we've seen in Denver or in Mexico City. And they let the heavyweights headline in Mexico City twice. The Kane for Doom fight that made Kane tired, that created the sea level Kane meme. And uh, I think Verdum and Mark Hunt was also in Mexico City. And then, of course, the shining example of <laughs> high elevation heavyweight slop fest was Mark Hunt Ben Rothwell, oh, the yeah. one in Denver. The, the one where Joe Rogan was basically abandoned being a commentator and was marking out over the possibility of Mark Hunt by submission, pardon the pun. He decided, I'm going to coach Mark Hunt through this armbar the entire way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? I don't blame him because that would have been the wildest way to ever for, for Mark Hunt to ever win a fight. He came but, close on Fedor. Yeah, he did. Very close on Fedor. Yep. So, you know, options for Aldo admittedly are not plentiful at 135 because of just who he's fought. I mean, he's fought Marlon Vera, and if there's going to be a rematch, that's only there's only upside for Vera. Yeah. Uh, Jan, hell no. No rematch needed. Sterling, he's probably not going to fight, and, and, and that's... That's basically depending on, on the title shot situation, but I don't think they'll ever do Aldo Sterling. Dillashaw, a possibility. Uh, Devalish Philly, nobody's asking for that rematch. Sandhagen could be an option. Like if Sandhagen beats Song Yadong, even if he's coming off a win, like Sandhagen versus Jose Aldo could be an excellent fight because Sandhagen's not going to go spam takedowns. Nope. Yeah, I like that, that, that would fight. be a legit fight. Hell yeah, I like that a lot. Hell, even Aldo and Song Yadong would be cool. If Song beats uh, Sandhagen next month, I think that's a good fight because Song would make a real push to be a title challenger. Yeah, I like that too. And I like Song a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep, he, he has grown quite a bit, I think, from the... Which fight was it? Uh, wasn't the, was it the Casey-Kenny fight that he lost? I, I'm trying to remember which fight he lost. Kyler Phillips? I cannot... Kyler Phillips. Yes, the Kyler Phillips fight. He, he beat Casey-Kenny. And now I'm remembering it was a split decision that I'm pretty sure Kenny didn't have a case for, for winning at all, but he starts Julio Arce. He starts Marlon Marais into retirement. I mean, he's beaten Marlon Vera and he's got serious knockout power. That would be a fun fight. We've talked about the Cruz fight before. That's an option for Aldo. Uh, probably not in the short term because of Cruz's uh, recovery. He's fought Pedro Munoz, Ricky Simone, doesn't have a fight booked, and I don't know if the UFC would necessarily want to make that fight. And God knows, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar three is something that nobody needs to see. No, no, no. And yep. uh, yeah, I don't like the Ricky Simone fight either, simply because we need to put him in profile fights. We can't put a Ricky Simone in there. Yep, and, and Ricky Simone also should should get some some different fights that that can elevate his profile separately that don't necessarily involve taking on. Uh, legends who are on the decline. Right Now, talking about a legend on the decline, he is pretty much at, at the base after reaching the summit years ago. Uh, <laughs> Rampage Jackson. Uh, yeah, he hasn't fought in a while. He's 44 years old. I genuinely thought he was older than that. But TMZ caught up with him recently, and uh, apparently he's not done fighting. He, he said, no, I, I ain't done. I'm not happy with my performance in my last fight. I can't leave MMA fans like that. I'm going to leave this sport a little better. 
Like I said, I'm in talks with fighting Shannon Briggs, finally. That fight has been like almost a year in the making. I want to do some boxing before I retire. I might do MMA, but I want to do boxing. I'm getting up there. I'm 44, man. I'm getting up there. My knees, they hurt from wrestling. When you're doing MMA, a lot of people want to take you down. They want to wrestle you. Yes, I think we're all well aware that Rampage hates the idea of somebody using it somebody using wrestling in an MMA match. Uh, so last time we saw Rampage, uh, he took on Fedor in December of 2019. That was Bellator's Japan card. Fedor showed up in reasonably good condition for his age. Rampage probably cleaned out several buffets. I mean, <laughs> they, they, he must have been asking for seconds, thirds, fourths. <laughs> the, the chefs were, were, were like that lady in the Popeyes meme. I mean, they, they had to have been exhausted because Rampage looked way way past his physical his physical best uh the last time he won was the vanderlei fight the fourth vanderlei fights and that was in 2018 that was actually a good fight yeah. it was reasonably fun but uh the shannon briggs fight has been teased as as like a thriller boxing match i don't know if you've been reading about thriller lately uh but you notice that they haven't been holding events and even the rap battles the versus battles there's been issues over uh getting paid yeah, for for the that. participants so I don't know what's the deal there, but Shannon will no doubt be still yelling, let's go champ. He probably yells it in his sleep. <laughs> I don't need to see Rampage against Shannon Briggs. I, I'm shocked that Ramp- Bare Knuckle FC hasn't approached Rampage, or at least they haven't mentioned anything publicly. But in a related story, Fabrizio Verdum wants to box, and he wants super fights. Super fights with whom? Certainly not professional boxers, but if there's going to be a circus, there's a small part of me thinking, wouldn't be shocked if we end up with Rampage Jackson boxing Fabrizio Verdu. Wow. Okay, that would totally suck because Fabrizio Verdum is a terrible, terrible striker. I mean, just watch the Stipe fight and then get back to me. Yeah, I, I don't need to see Fabrizio box. Like, there are certain fighters where, okay, they're past it, they want to box. Anderson Silva, obvious example. We know him as one of the best strikers in the UFC. Fabrizio Verdum. Guy who submitted Fedor and has a host of submission wins and sick, slick grappling for, for heavyweight. He wants to box. Where's the market for that? Nobody's ever thought, man, I, I need to see Fabrizio Verdum strictly in the thing that he's worst at. I, I keep going back to this fight. It was Andre and Fabrizio. <laughs> that fight was so terrible remember that I don't when... even remember if Spike actually removed that fight from the broadcast since it was on tape delay. Do you it remember... was an appalling fight. Yeah. Do you remember how Andre was posted up on him and was literally slapping him? It was yeah. a slap fight, a literal slap fight. <laughs> yeah, it, it was atrocious. Arlovsky and Verdum, two greats of the heavyweight division, but their worst fights are some of the, that they are in an own depressed us wing of how bad their fights are. But that, getting back to Rampage, if he's not going to be in good physical shape, he's not going to take his training seriously, which he really hasn't done for like a decade. Why do we need to see him fight? I, I know I said he can't leave MMA fans like that. No, no, I, I think we're cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Because it absolutely can get worse from there. I mean, it's just, yeah. Although we want to continue, we don't want to see him go out like that because we know he's still got something left. We know that he can fight better than that. Rampage, I am not sure he can fight better than that, especially if he's not going to be committed to anything. Yeah, I mean, he's just a big, fat, lazy blob, and clearly money must be running out. 
Yeah, yeah, probably so. Bare knuckle wouldn't actually make sense for him. Uh, at least I, I would think it, it wouldn't be a shock if, if he landed in bare knuckle. Hey, speaking of, of which, before we move on to our Q&A, did you see John Dotson's bare knuckle knockout? I did not. Yes, he knocked out uh, Ryan Benoit, another UFC veteran. Oh, yeah, wow. Yes, and okay. John also has a brother, Eric Dotson, who, who won on the card too. But John Dotson, again, I can, I'm indifferent at best with bare knuckle and, and that promotion in particular. But for John Dotson, considering the, the car crash that he had and how serious that could have been, mm-hmm. I'm just happy to see him still fighting. And one thing we know about John Dotson, he is one of those smaller guys with legit power. Super legit power. It's just that he doesn't always exhibit it. I mean, it just sometimes his fights are just so hard to watch. And other times we get this. Yes, he's one of those guys who's powerful and low output. And that is an annoying combination, whether in boxing or MMA. It's like we know you can hit hard and you don't want to throw. But he did throw against Ryan Benoit. I don't know why they gave him Benoit. Well, well, I know why, because that dude's not exactly, you know, a a great boxer. And I'm pretty sure that he's been stopped before. No, he's actually never been knocked out in MMA. I swear he was. You know what? I'm mixing him uh, winning against Sergio Pettis. He won against Sergio Pettis. I thought Pettis stopped him. He stopped Sergio Pettis, but his only two stoppage losses were by submission. So that's the first time he's ever been knocked out in any combat sport. But still... Uh, Dotson's still a better striker than, than Ryan Benoit's ever been. So good for Dotson. Hope he continues uh, carving out something for himself in, in his post-USC career. I think he's been doing reasonably well. Yeah, he has. Now, I got a quick question for you about this bare-knuckle event. Did you see the little girl that uh, got <laughs> just wrecked? Wow. That cut and that eye I mean, if that's not a broken orbital, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeez, yes. I mean, that 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 was... was, Wow. What was she even doing in there? Yeah, that was horrifying. And just to pull myself up here, after he left the UFC, uh, he lost to Cody Gibson, but he beat Francisco Rivera. Man, remember him? Yep. Yep, Francisco Rivera. Cisco. Yes, Cisco. And then he's he's got the Benoit fight after the... um, yeah, after the Rivera fight. It was after the Gibson fight. He had the, the car accident yeah. and had to uh, pull out. But um, actually, uh, do I have the timeline correct here? No, he was scheduled for Gibson in, in 2021 in the summer, but then he had the car accident. Luckily, he escaped the worst and the fight just got rescheduled. So he's just trying to really get back into things. This is only his, his third combat sports fight since the car accident. But he's 37. He's, he's only a year older than Mighty Mouse. Mm-hmm. But power's the last thing to go. Yeah. You might as well just stick around and bare knuckle. That's definitely the best path for him, I would think. Dotson versus Rampage. Open <laughs> weight, baby. Oh, my God. So, oh, man, that's going to be a hard segue. Right now, what we're going to do is we've got a Q&A that I put up yesterday. It was a pop-up Q&A so that we could get questions for Mookie for this last episode of the Mookie and Crookie show. And we got some real fun ones. So I'm going to start with our favorite guest. You know, he asked who our favorite Irish guest was, but you know, he's one of our favorite guests. So Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA and Sure Dog wanted to know who our favorite Irish guest on the podcast was. And he wants to know 
who was the most infuriating Manchester United player to watch in the last seven years? And finally, why is Wonderboy the GOAT? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, I'll address them one by one, Sean. Uh, I think Naked Gambler is Irish, but I, I'm pretty sure we've never had him on the show. So by default, it's you. Uh, the, the, the second one, boy, where do I start given these last six, seven years? It'd be so terrible. I think Radamel Falcao might be on that list, but he was, I think he was on loan. So he wasn't like a permanent signing, but Paul Pogba, because of his talent and how inconsistent and often not, not hundred percent, he wasn't getting giving effort. And then currently Marcus Rashford, because he's, he had so much promise, but he's been so maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent and outright terrible over the last couple of years to the point where he's almost unrecognizable. Uh, and then third goat at what? Being an incredibly nice person, yeah, he's absolutely one of the goats there. Yeah. Goats at other stuff, please don't let Sean ever be on the uh, be uh, on future level changes. He is forbidden from these podcasts. <laughs> you know, Shawnee's favorite fighter is Wonder Boy. Yep, that's uh, that's why he, he he better hope that they don't make that Rockmanov fight. <laughs> that Rockmanov fight gonna be the end. Yeah, that, that that's gonna be uh, that it's it's it's, it's no Wonder Boy. Indeed. Now, our second question comes from Earl Montclair. He needs to know your top 10 bloody elbow or MMA memes. 10? My goodness. First of all, how the hell is Earl allowed? He, he's allowed phone access in, in Florida prisons? <laughs> Boy, he, he must be on low security or something. Maybe it was smuggled in through like a birthday cake or something. Uh, so this is a little bloody elbow history lesson, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh when I first got onto Bloody Elbow in 2012 as a staff writer, we got a lot of mileage from when Chris Hall, who was also hired w alongside me, he uh, accidentally banned himself. And this was like a couple of hours after I was Google chatting with him. So the next morning I wake up and I find uh, Chris Hall in the ban log and I see who's banned him and it's Chris Hall. So that became a running joke for a while of, of Chris <laughs> managing to drop the ban hammer on himself. It has never been done before and has not been done since. And there was also the Brenda meme uh, because Tim Burke ha had said he had started it because Chris Hall's original screen name is Chris81203. And I think that's his Twitter handle, in fact. And Tim couldn't commit 81203 to memory. So he just made a Brenda Walsh reference from Beverly Hills 90210. So <laughs> that was one meme. Then there was MMA Intelligence, and his never-ending love of Michael Bisping, the man from the north of England. And I think beyond the Bisping stuff, he had famously declared that uh, 8 out of 12, I, I think it might have been Bisping's finishes, 8 out of 12, and he said it was 80%. <laughs> so that became a meme in itself. And I, I was true to my word. He got banned because he was trolling too much. But I said that if Michael Bisping had ever won a UFC title, I would unban him. So he's unbanned. He's never appeared since then, but he's around. Uh, he, he is. If if he wants to contribute again, if he wants to be a commenter, he has got full commenting privileges. Uh, a couple more. I'm not going to list ten. GSP is exposed. Uh, I think it was Hashmo who wrote a fan post back in 2010 that if Matt Hughes finished Joss Koscheck, GSP was exposed. And the logic behind it was GSP had fought. Um, let's see, Fitch. Well, he hadn't. He had fought Fitch, but there were a couple other dudes that he fought that had been stopped. So Dan Hardy, Jake Shields. And then you get to, to Josh Koscheck. He, he went the distance with those guys. And Dan Hardy got knocked out by Condit. Jake Shields got knocked out by Ellenberger. So if Hughes had stopped Koscheck, 
GSP was exposed. So anytime we did this MMA math and we saw somebody get stopped that some other person couldn't finish, we just yelled, fighter A is exposed. <laughs> and we just did it on and on. And I think it still holds up today. Uh, who else? Fart Hammer's babysitting service. Fart Hammer is a great follow on MMA Twitter uh, and a, a former Bloody Elbow commentator. I don't think he's active anymore. He missed UFC 139, which was the night of Shogun and Hendo. And the reason why he, he missed is he had to babysit. So he wrote this big fan post, pretty much wish, wishing the absolute worst at UFC 139. He also said something like, I hope they play Limp Biscuit there. <laughs> I mean, that, he, he was really going all in. And UFC 139 ended up being one of the most entertaining cards ever in Shogun. Hendo was a classic. So that's where I think one of our bloody elbow fantasy MMA team names was Fart Hammer's Babysitting Service. And I'm in no position to laugh because... I missed the card live. I just moved to another apartment and we couldn't get our internet set up in time. So I missed the whole show. And I also miss Alvarez Chandler live too. Uh, so that's another legendary meme. The number one meme though, I think out of Buddy Elbow. And the reason why it's number one is because of Ben Saunders let's. mouthing it. Let's motherfuckers. Yeah. Now who said that's MMA logic. We've never figured out who he is. Maybe he uh, happened to have some uh, close contact to Zufa, maybe he worked for Zufa, whatever the case. He drunkenly put $18,000 on Brett Rogers to beat Alistair Overeem on Strike Force. I think it was a Strike Force heavy artillery card. And he just said, Trust dropped 18000 on on Brett to beat Overeem. And he, he typed, let's motherfuckers, but he spelled it M-U-T-H-E-R-F-U-K-E-R-S. And then when Overeem predictably smashed Brett Rogers to bits, he let out a pronounced motherfucker. So <laughs> at that point, we have made let's motherfuckers a, a, a almost a battle cry of sorts. And Ben Saunders, a longtime Bloody Elbow reader and somebody we've interviewed plenty of times, he made that his own battle cry. So you know that we've hit it big time when some drunken bet ended up making its way into MMA mainstream-ish. Yes. Maybe he's Yanni the Greek. Oh, he would be better. (laughs) (laughs) Even with that loss, he would be better. Mm -hmm. All right. Our next couple of questions comes from Knuckles Freeman. He has two questions, one serious and one silly. His serious question is, what convinced you to start covering combat sports in the first place? Was it worth it in the long run to cover for 10 years? And his second question is, who is stronger, the god Latifi or Superman? All right. So I will tackle the first question first. Was it worth it or or, or what made me get into combat sports? I was out of high school and I wanted to make money. And my only employment history, formal employment history before Bloody Elbow was two weeks at a grocery store. And the fact that I went two weeks tells you how well that went. Uh, Grocery bagging is not for me. Uh, So there was that aspect. And also, I wanted to, to... have the opportunity to just write about sports. So combat sports seems like, like the simplest route. And I've watched boxing and MMA all the time. And I got the job from, uh, from Bloody Elbow in July of 2012, just on a whim. I didn't apply for the BE gig, actually. I was applying for some other MMA site. And I never heard back from them. But I did a fan post for Bloody Elbow. And it was a contest, uh, I guess, that me and Chris Hall won. And the best fan posts got promoted to the front page and 
um, we would eventually get bloody elbow gigs. So I would say it's been more than worth it. All the friendships I forged, uh, all the events that I've gotten to cover, even if I haven't covered them in person, it has been enjoyable. The people that I've corresponded with, the fact that I've turned just writing into an editorial, an, an editor gig, getting to podcasts, getting to appear on other people's shows. It has been a, a tremendous experience. And I think I'm for the, I think I'm better off, uh, now than I was 10 years ago as a result of it. And it's still crazy for me to think that out of high school or a year removed from high school, uh, this went from like a fun hobby to get, you know, pocket change here and there to, I make a living out of this. And it's just been a wild ride. Now, the second question, it's a little Latifi, man. And, and unlike <laughs> Superman, unlike Superman, he doesn't have that bullshit glasses disguise gimmick. I mean, we know how strong he is and people aren't fooled. Everybody knows he is inhum- it, 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 remarkably strong. I don't know how those horses can can hold, can, can deal with him. It's because he becomes one with the horse. You know he's a centaur. Yes, well, I, I think what it is is the, the horse... I think uh, the horse got to, to ride Ilir Latifi. <laughs> so in, in, in just for the sake of, of normalcy, had to flip it around just for, for, the, for the photo shots. But yes, I've never gotten into Superman compared to Batman or Spider-Man. So Ilir Latifi is vastly superior to, to Superman in terms of strength. All right. Our next question comes from CEO of Italians. When will Bloody Elbow abandon their anti-Irish discrimination and hire Keith Galvin? Oh, yes. I I told him that we would address this question. I will have you know, CEO of Italians, that uh, twice over we had Roy Billington on the team as our grappling writer. And I'm pretty sure he's Irish. Maybe I've gotten that horribly wrong, but I, I'm almost 100% sure that he's Irish. We've had Naked Gambler on the staff. And personal story, through my paternal grandmother's lineage, I have uh, some Irish blood in me too. I didn't even need to use Ancestry DNA for that one. Yeah. Uh, we might hire Keith one of these days solely to replace the void left by me in the Stipe tapped Alistair Felter department. And really, it shouldn't be my void. It shouldn't be my spot to fill. Keith Galvin is the one who started it. He's the Overeem superfan, and he's the one who has been going worldwide, proving to everybody that Stipe tapped and Alistair felt it. And, you know, another good reason why we should hire Keith, not just to fill some Irish quota, but he would have the market on strongman competitions. On he, That would be locked down. So Thor Bjornsson doing boxing matches, that would be his, that would be his spot 110% of the way. Oh, yeah. All right, so we get to the next question. Telvin Kipapa wants to know who your favorite pro wrestler is. <laughs> yes, it, it's me, pro wrestling fan. Man, a hundred something episodes. I thought that would have that w- that would have uh, been clear that I'm not a, a pro wrestling guy. But I'm going to give you a couple answers. The, the jokey answer is Brock Lesnar, because I like his MMA fights in the UFC. Um, and of course, we know what a star he is. He's been in the WWE. But there's a more personal answer because people know I'm not a pro wrestling guy. I don't watch WWE or AEW and it's not for the lack of trying. I used to play um, the WWF no mercy video game on N64. Uh, but consider me a Titus, o- Titus O'Neil fan. And this is entirely because he was friends with someone I and my family knew very well as a child uh, because he was an educator uh, when I lived in Las Vegas and I went to his school and uh, eventually, you know, everybody moved on. I 
poofed long after long before he did. But he went to Florida, and that's where Titus lives. And he started an academy for people with learning disabilities or learning-related disabilities. And Titus became good buddies with him. Um, sadly, a few years ago, um, uh, Mr. Butts, as he's known, passed away in a boating accident. And it's actually through Titus's tweet that I found that out. And Titus, uh, by all accounts, seems to be a good dude. So for that reason alone, I'm... I rock with Titus O'Neill. Oh, that's an awesome story. I love that. See, this Q&A is definitely paying dividends. All right, next one comes from Bloody Elbow Alum Patrick Wyman. He wants to know your favorite fight and your least favorite fight. Favorite fight is the least favorite fight. Well, thank you, Patrick. One of my favorite people to work with. Who would have thought that we would be doing those haters guides to UFC pay-per-views all those years ago? And now you're a history buff. You got a book. You got books. You've got a wildly successful podcast at Tides of History. And he was on TV not too long ago. Yes, not Jeopardy. But he's on the History Channel. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so many Bloody Elbow people have gone on to do some tremendous things, even if it's not necessarily with Bloody Elbow or it's not in the MMA field or combat sports in general. So good to hear from you, Dr. Wyman. So I think of my favorite fights. I can't pick a single one. But I'll just give you a, like a list of fights that I won't get tired of watching. Condit and Lawler, Lawler McDonald 2, Zhang Meili, Yoania, Jacek, the first fight. GSP versus Fitch, because I think that was just mm. GSP at, at his finest. And John Fitch, for various, didn't like his fighting style. Certainly don't like the shit that he normally puts out on Twitter. So that makes that beating even more pleasurable on rewatch. Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin, which I watched last night. Now, uh, you know, people w w might shoot it down because, you know, Brock and Carlin were just exhausted as big heavyweights, just struggling to make it through two rounds. But you try being 260 some odd pounds and throw the number of punches that Carlin did to put away Brock and fail. And then Brock just having the, the, the ability to survive that and submit Brock uh, Carlin in the second round. So that fight sticks out. Wound to me. him up like a clock too, the way he did that. Yes, you could see that the, the change in Carwin's face. Yep. I mean, that it, once the takedown happened, he knew he was screwed. Yep. Um, Alvarez Chandler won. Once I got to watch it, I didn't get to watch it live because Fart uh, Hammer was babysitting me. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, George Santiago and Kazuo Misaki too. Uh, that that's an often forgotten fight. Uh, Patri uh, Patricio Pitbull against Michael Chandler, because you know Patricio, we love Patricio, and to see him become champ champ was was an awesome moment justin gaethje fights just in general big nog versus bob sap because of how ridiculous that fight was and and sap bludgeoning big nog and big nog submitting him big nog versus big nog versus brendan schaub is one of the few times i've ever marked out in my home <laughs> because I, I thought man big nog this is depressing i don't know how much he has left and then he knocks brendan schaub out and this is before we realized well, how not bright schaub is <laughs> And it was just one of the best moments. And the fact that it happened in Brazil made it all that more extra special. And Usman Covington, uh, really, for, for the fact that Covington got knocked out. And it was also a really good fight. So there, there are a host of other fights that I probably left out, but that's just a deep memory bank. Uh, I think of boxing fights that among my favorites. Gotti Ward won, mm. obviously has to be there. Trinidad against Fernando Vargas. Joshua versus Klitschko um, back in 2017. Whoa, back up. I love that you mentioned Trinidad and Ferocious. Uh, that was an ex exceptional fight. Yes, Felix Trinidad is one of my all-time favorite Mine boxers. Too. 
And of course, I was really young when he was in his prime and some of his fights or even before I was born. But I, I still got to catch through replays and even some fights live just, just how savage he was. And his fights were always fun because more often than not, he would also give you a free early knockdown of himself a couple of rounds in before absolutely pasting a dude uh, shortly thereafter. Joshua Klitschko was just phenomenal. Did, did the stakes, the fact that this was AG on the rise, it was a proper passing of the guard. And to have 90,000 people in that stadium, that's one where I wish I could have been there in person. Uh, James Tony Vasily Giroff, a hidden classic. That's a good one, too. Yes. I'm just, the, the, if you what? say that there's a Johnny Tapia fight in there, I'm just going to fall over. I was going to say Johnny Tapia and Polly Ayala. It was either <laughs> the first or second fight that I thought he he got screwed yeah. by the judges. Um, man, I miss Johnny Tapia Me so much. Too. He's just R.I.P., man. Yep. Manny Pacquiao, Eric Morales, the second fight. Um, Pacquiao Marquez won because Mar- Marquez was was toast. Got knocked down three times in the first round and came back and got a draw. Like, how often does that happen? Uh, and then two for for just pure just joy of watching the other guy lose. Shane Mosley, Antonio Margarito. <laughs> I, I will never get tired of watching that fight. Margarito, Margarito with, with the old plaster hands. His, yeah, if, uh, the clay, the plaster of Paris shit in his gloves. Yes, Nazim Richardson, again, rest in peace to him too. He was the one who spotted that pre-fight. And if not for him, who knows what would have happened. But because of that, Margarito's secret power just disappeared on him. And Mosley, that really was the last great Shane Mosley performance. Yeah. He absolutely whooped that guy. And, and he ends up knocking out a dude who who is really hard to, to even knock down. Mm. So that was pretty much the end of, of Mar- peak Margarito as we knew him. And of course, Marcos Maidana and Adrian Broner. Oh, yeah. We know how obnoxious Adrian Broner is. And Madonna lighten up a cigarette after, probably. <laughs> lighten up a cigarette afterward while Broner ha- had his hands, like, meekly exiting the exiting the ring after all the shit that he talked, mm-hmm. all of his, his just terrible things that he said, dry-humping Madonna early in the fight and then getting dropped twice and then Madonna dry-humping him back. <laughs> just just classic stuff. Again, there are a host of, of all-time favorite fights I could think of in MMA or boxing. Those are just ones off the top of my head. Least favorite, uh, Vladimir Klitschko, Soltani Bragamov. That was one of the worst fights I've ever seen, and it was one of those fights that was a catalyst for HBO actually dropping heavyweight boxing entirely for a couple of years. Um, Jermaine Taylor, Corey Spinks, nobody likes Spinks fights. He, he is The apple fell very far from the tree. Canelo Alvarez versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. That was awful. That was awful. I hated that it was even on pay-per-view. And that was the one I that was an event I covered for Bloody Elbow. And I think when I did the results right up, I pretty much abandoned any sense of actually describing the fight. And then I just went all in on how unserious Chavez Jr. was, which in hindsight should have made it all the more clear to me. I shouldn't have called his fight with Anderson Silva a disgraceful mismatch because we know Chavez can be a screw up at any given moment. Yep. On the on the MMA side, Paul Daly, MVP, uh, legendarily bad. Adesanya Romero. I don't put Esparza Rose 2 on there because I didn't watch it live and I had the sense to not even make it to the fifth round. Uh, Lewis versus Ngannou because two guys with terrifying knockout power just trotted out some some 15-minute staring contest. Silver versus Maya was more ridiculous to me than Silver versus Latus. Um, Woodley against Wonderboy, the second fight. Mm. Uh, again, another staring contest. Woodley versus Maya was also a, just awful to watch. Krokop versus Mir. Just because a fight ended and a finish does not mean the fight was good. Hey, Hollis Gracie's debut. <laughs> yes, Hollis Gracie against, uh, what was it, Joey Beltran? Yeah. 
and also Hanzo Gracie Matthews was was uh, just a that that needs to never be shown again. And then more or less the whole of the UFC 149 pay per view, and that includes Faber versus Burrell, which just one sided and not compelling, but also Hector Lombard's debut against Tim Boach. And we thought, man, Hector has been a killer in Bellator, and then he he just doesn't do anything against Boach and probably made the UFC forever regret the signing bonus or whatever extra money they gave him and check Congo versus Sean Jordan. Oh my God. Wow. That one is awful. And there was a Gabriel Gonzaga fight too. That was just. Yes. Gabriel Gonzaga against Kevin Jordan. I think that was another fight. That was a stinker. Arlovsky, Sylvia three was was, was brutal. (laughs) Yeah. UFC 149 was the very first show I covered for bloody elbow. I did only the prelims. I, I did the what back when we used to do primers for every fight, mm-hmm. and boy was that a pain to do. Um, the prelims were at least entertaining because the late Ryan Jimmo had knocked out Anthony Parash in seven seconds. There were some cool knockouts on, on other parts of the card, but the main card, oh man, that that's the one that uh, made Dana White apologetic. <laughs> oh man, remember the. Um... I think it was the first Abu Dhabi card where Dana said that he was going to base jump. He never did. Yeah, we're, we're still waiting on that. We're still waiting on that, Dana. Fo- follow your promise, man. Pack your own shoot. <laughs> <laughs> we have another question here from Lucas Scharf. And his question is, which two historical figures would you like to see fighting each other in MMA? Gandhi and Lincoln are already taken. Ooh, that's a tough question. Hmm. I'm just going to assume once you're dead, you're a historical figure. Uh, or at least if you've been dead for a reasonably long time, you're a historical figure. So I thought about Paul Bunyan versus Andy Hoog, Battle of the Axes. Uh, but Albert Einstein against Charles Darwin. Albert Einstein, very cerebral. So is Charles Darwin, also very cerebral. But how has Darwin evolved over the years? We need to see them throw down. Oh, my goodness. Can we get some Nikola Tesla in there, too? Add some electrifying atmosphere? Oh, absolutely. He he would cook Thomas Edison. <laughs> okay, I have one. Who wins, Attila the Hun or Alexander the Great? I'm biased. It's got to be Alexander the Great. Okay. Not just for my last name, but look who's the number one pound for pound fighter in the world right now. Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, I rest my case. Maybe he is Alexander the Great reincarnated. All right. Genghis Khan versus Kublai Khan. Ooh. Yeah. Boy, that one might go to the that one might go to the judges scorecards. Uh, I slightly lean towards Genghis Khan. Okay. All right. And one last one. Let me think here. Napoleon Bonaparte versus MacArthur. <laughs> uh, probably MacArthur. I expect Napoleon to uh, to throw in the towel on himself. <laughs> okay. All right. Now we have one final question. And this one comes from Victor O. That's V4 underscore Vengeful on Twitter. What is one piece of life advice you would give to a friend? Ooh, this implies I have friends. Oh, of course. Uh, I'm just kidding. Yes. Um, advice. Don't you don't have to go the conventional road. That's that you've been accustomed to what you've been conditioned to to believe in, which is go to go to school K through 12, go to university for four years, get your degree, work a nine to five for however many years and then retire. I think now 2022, there's never been a greater time in history 
to go the unconventional route, which means, of course, still get your education. I don't want you to be a third grade dropout. But um, university, I don't feel is necessary. It, it, it's desired. It is absolutely necessary for certain jobs. I don't want a middle school, uh, you know, somebody who's a middle school illiterate being a nurse or, or, or being a rocket scientist. I mean, you need to have advanced schools schooling for that. But I think about the fact that I never went to university. I might one of these days, but I've carved out this career. I mean, you, you, you've got the ability to start your own business and you don't necessarily have to invest a lot of money into it. Um, it we're at a time where creativity seems to get rewarded a, a bit more than it used to. There's still room for exploitation. God knows there's a lot of exploitation, but the ways to make money without needing a college degree, I think are greater than ever before. So that would be my one piece of advice. You don't have to put yourself into into debts right away, starting out your adult life and then complain about it on Twitter if it gets forgiven. All right. And there's a bonus question here, and it's from me. Whatever are you going to do with your Mondays now? Oh, uh, probably laments the Seahawks latest loss. <laughs> Because we're going to be awful this year, man. This is it, my Mondays are not going to look good. In fact, the first, the second Monday after we're done with this is a, is Seattle's first game, and that just means I get to be upset on Tuesday instead. <laughs> so uh, you know, I actually had one more question that was uh, messaged to me privately, asking about my proudest moments and and uh, work at, at writing and working at Bloody Elbow, and also what are the greatest MMA related tweets of all time. Uh, the Tito Gaday Tito, where he seems to message himself in an Australian accent. <laughs> That's golden. Jose Aldo's party at Fred's and Pie Show. <laughs> oh my you... God. I remember that. And Bloodstained Lane threatening to fight me and come to my home. Yeah. I remember uh, that. That, that was a legendary night because everybody was just clowning, clowning him. Uh, yeah, Bloodstained Lane, just a, a great annoyance from, from yesteryear. And as far as my proudest moments, uh, getting to do this podcast and, and, and learning the ropes through you and getting to do all these interviews and, and, and also working my way up to editor position. If there are any articles in particular I'm proud of, I know it didn't generate a lot of traffic, but I am really satisfied with the work I did with Nash two years ago when the pandemic had begun. And I think it was the before all the stimulus stuff happened, ways for for contractors to make money while they're out of work mm. and to apply for 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 relief. And apparently a couple of fighters did read that article and they were able to to get some money out of it. Oh, that's really awesome. Yep. So there was that. And also all my hot pinions. All my hot pinions, all my satirical posts, especially uh, the Mayweather McGregor stuff. Personally, my favorite stuff from you is always the penis stuff, because for those of you out there that don't know, Mookie <laughs> was the go-to guy for anything penis-related, with the exception of one. And I got stuck with that one, and that was when Ray Elby broke his penis in the shower when he was... Uh, he was having sex with his girlfriend, and I guess she slipped, and oh my goodness, his penis broke in half. He had to go to the hospital. It was bleeding everything. But that's the only one you didn't cover. But over the course of a decade, you covered many a penis post. Yes, I did. Most famously, the Waylon Lowe <laughs> tiger bomb. Well, the, I know it's kind of, I think we've got to go to the Wayback Machine to get the comments out, but one of the greatest comment sections we've ever had. 
Yeah. And you also covered the, uh, there was another one that you covered. What was it? Well, I did or other orifices too yes. uh, with the fighter who shit himself in the cage. Yeah. And, and it was, it was creating like a, a, a paper trail of a feces. <laughs> and the best part was, I think the promoter said he, he, he's, he can't, that fighter couldn't wait to get back at the cage and prove that was prove that it was no accident. Or, or prove that it was just an accident, as a, as opposed to what doing it on purpose, right? Like, excuse me, I'm going to go take a shit in the middle of the cage. Yes. <laughs> uh, see, that's that's what I've loved about this job the most. Yeah, there, there not everything is perfect. There have been some moments where I went, "Damn, this this is an annoyance," and or I really wish I wasn't doing this. But to cover the wacky and absurd. You just don't get this kind of wacky and absurd from other sports. You really don't. I mean, when are you ever going to get a fight circus? Hmm? No, you, you can't get the fight circus. Yama, you can't get the uh, <laughs> night fights. Yeah. The, hey, phone booth fights. Remember, just a few months ago, they actually had a fight in a phone booth. Yeah, they had to kick Superman out from there <laughs> since he had to go change into costume. Uh, and nobody was suspicious or anything. And then uh, and then have to do a phone booth fight or jujitsu in a car. Oh, I mean, yes. come on. Hey, remember the one where that they combined motocross and the motocross was jumping over the open cage in Arizona? Because I covered <laughs> that one. But uh, we've had some good, good moments. I will miss them tremendously. I will miss Mondays more than you know. But I'm so happy for you and I want nothing but the best for you. And I hope that you're continuing journey down this sports journalism path is as fruitful and prosperous as possible and that you are successful from now until you decide to finish. Thank you very much, Debbie. That means a whole lot to me. It has been wonderful working with you over the last 10 years. It's 10 years, right? It's because you were a couple months before me. So yeah. we've been podcasting together for seven years and I'm not going away forever, of course, because I will still be making cameo appearances on Level yes. Change. Uh, yeah, to, to clarify, this show is going away, but that replacing it is Level Change twice a week. And uh, yeah, we'll have Level Change still going on. You'll still have Crooklyn's Corner and, and Care Don't Care. It's just I will be less visible than I am right now. I won't be I won't be here every week, but I'll still be very much active in the MMA Twitter community and watching fights with with everybody else because come on listen to how listen to us talk over the last 15 minutes how can you quit this sport right it, it's absolutely it's insane and that's what we love about it so much so one last time follow me on twitter at mookie alexander steffi at crooklyn mma you can listen to me one last time alongside steffi and victor rodriguez on the level change podcast this friday we will make our UFC Paris picks and more. And I'll tell you what, if I keep getting main event picks wrong, I might just keep coming back until this cold streak ends. <laughs> I, I, I've been saying, I want to go out on a win. And I keep losing. So I, I better win, especially since it's a heavyweight fight. And that is my, my, my sworn enemy there. I might have to un unleash the curse one more time so that Whitaker Vittori is the main event. <laughs> yes. Savvy's so care, don't care with Eugenius Robinson and John Ash on Mondays. Um, it's been reposted if you didn't see it last week. Uh, they did a UFC Paris show the week before, but again, June reposted it. There's a Crooklyn's Corner with John Ash, and you guys talked about fighter pay. 
a lot of fighter pay, a lot on one. There's some boxing stuff, but there's a lot of new stuff in there. And one of the biggest things is John tells fighters direct paths to gaining more leverage. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. So if you want to check out that show and, and where else and, and any other Bloody Elf Presents podcast, you just wait till the very end. You'll get the full list of outlets in the pre-recorded outro. Hopefully, I'll still be the voiceover for those because I'm pretty sure Morgan Freeman is out of our price range. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> at least I think so. And we probably won't have like Fran Drescher on here doing the voiceovers just, just to, to make our listeners' ears not bleed. Anyway, we'll sign off by saying one last heartfelt thank you to everyone who has listened to us over the years. We greatly appreciate you. So long, everyone. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio-Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com.